the Dynasty Bulls podcast. Nick hails with the Redskins Cleanser, and Joshua Johnson, I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear. Welcome, welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. This is Joshua Johnson, your fearless host. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, Doing great. Looking forward to the Super Bowl. I mean, as a football fan, how could you not be doing good this week, right? Yes, yes, it is Super Bowl week, and so we're doing things a little bit differently today as we have our Super Bowl Roundtable podcast uh, that we're going to be presenting to you today. Um, it's going to be kind of like a, a group forum, town hall meeting, if you will. Got a nice set of questions, and uh, I'll be asking our uh, our guests for that. We have uh, Gene Clemens. Uh, he's the author of uh, a football myths book with football myths, myths book. I don't know why that's so hard to say for me. Uh, Gene is also just a, a, an incredible football mind. Um, he, he's from fbgameplan.com. Him and Emery Hunt and uh, Chris Chris Jones have yeah Chris Jones have some Chris James excuse me have some good things going on over there at that website. If you haven't been there, you need to go check it out. Uh, author Alex Kirby, who's been on the show a couple times, he's going to stop by as well to help out with that. And our IDP, one of our IDP writers, Bill Layton, who's recently been knighted as a ranker. Very happy to have Bill on for the show too. He's going to help us out. Um, that should be a lot of fun. And Jack Fullman is also stopping by. He's going to be stopping by actually here in just about three minutes as he's going to help us with some Pac-12 prospects. But Jack has agreed to stick around for the entire show and, and uh, be a part of the, the uh, roundtable experience, too. So like I said, a little bit of a different show today because we don't have – because it's Super Bowl week. So we want to treat it uh, royally, basically. So we're pretty pretty excited about that. and. Like I said, Jack's going to be on a couple minutes, so that's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. And like I said last week, Jack is the man. If you don't know him, you're going to know a whole lot about him after today's show because his Pac, his Pac-12 knowledge is is awesome. And Jack, excuse me, I forgot to say, is from PacificTakes.com. So great guy, happy to have him aboard. He joins us probably once a year just to just to give us the goods on the Pac-12, and we and we love it. So um. Uh, Nick, any any thoughts on the Megatron retirement? We talked about it a little bit last week, but that's obviously huge news as it looks like it's going to actually happen now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, like you said, we talked about it a little bit last week, so uh, nothing really new on that front, I don't think, from my perspective anyway. Yeah, it just are you, were you surprised that it actually, he actually is going to hang it up? Um, not really. I mean, once, I mean, he plays in Detroit, so it's tough, you know. It just seems like for some reason, uh, probably the lack of success, that great players don't tend to uh, play very long when they, when they're Lions their whole career. Mm-hmm. 
And we maybe are just beginning to see a developing pattern now as uh, Justin Tuck also hung up. Uh, these guys are just 31, 32 years old. Um, that's just <laughs> excuse me. Uh, news also broke today about uh, former Oakland Raider uh, Ken Saber that had CTE in his brain. I mean, we're we're seeing a lot about just how this game really affects these people's these people in the in their bodies and in the long lasting effect. And obviously, some guys are trying to get out while while they can and not uh, not uh, be able to. Uh, have these type of things happen to them and and help have that process be a little bit longer on their body. Excuse me. Um, interestingly enough, I heard Thomas Davis, who is going to play at the Super Bowl, speaking of injuries, had 13, 13 screws put into his forearm after he broke it. Um, what, what do you think about that, Nick? Now, I heard Rodney Harrison on Dan Patrick this morning saying he had that same type of injury. He still has a screw every now and then that gives him problems in that arm. And he said he's, his arm did not feel right for at least four to six weeks. Now, Thomas Davis, is, this is less than two weeks he's, after having 13 screws inserted into his arm. What do, you, what do you think, Nick? Could you pull that off? Well, <laughs> Would I pull that off? Absolutely not. But you know, it's the Super Bowl, and you know, there's a reason he's in the NFL, and I'm not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the Super Bowl, so if you can walk, you're going to be playing. I mean, yeah, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's the biggest game of his life for sure. So he's not going to miss it yeah. for a broken arm. And this is a guy that's overcome three ACL injuries too. So I mean, he's he's dealt with pain, obviously, and probably probably ongoing pain in his, in his life. That's certainly the case. Um, but you just you got to wonder if, if, if there's a certain point where this actually becomes detrimental to his team. But we'll get we'll get talking about the Super Bowl a little bit later um, when we have the roundtable. That's going to start in about 25 minutes. Uh, but now we have Mr. Jack Fullman on the phone. Jack, are you there? Hey, do you hear me? Yes, we can hear you just fine. Can you hear us? I definitely can. All right. Uh, like I said, uh, Jack is from PacificTakes.com. Um, I think I emailed like the guy, maybe the the webmaster, and he gave me your name a couple years ago, and that started a, a, just a great relationship that we were able to bring Jack in on our podcast once a year and just give us the lowdown on some Pac-12 prospects. I always want to say Pac-10, but I got it, Pac-12 prospects. Um, and so, like I said, Jack is – is awesome. We give him we give him so many names, and he always always rings the bell. And we we always appreciate you coming on, Jack. So, what's going on over at Pacific Takes? Uh, not too much. Just kind of uh, following uh, signing day out here. Not too much action in the Pac-12 this year, but that's kind of the big thing going on today. Oh yes, that's actually why one of our one of our guests had to cancel today because it is National Signing Day for a lot of universities. Um, so not a, not a lot happening out there in the Pac-12, huh? Not a big year. Uh, a lot of times you see uh, a lot of prospects kind of uh, fighting it out till the last minute uh, between different Pac-12 schools, but not only a handful of guys this year out west that are going to do that. Okay. Well, let's get right into these Pac-12 prospects. Um I got. I have just a couple offensive linemen. There's actually a couple more that I want to talk about. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, 
we'll see what time allows. But uh, I, I for one, I don't, I don't know about anybody else, but I absolutely love breaking down offensive linemen film. I don't, I don't know why, and I never thought I would actually say that. Uh, but I really enjoy watching these guys. I think especially the guards a little bit more. But um, obviously tackle is the huge position. So let's start right there with uh, Kyle Murphy uh, out of Stanford. Yeah, Kyle Murphy, he's uh, one of those guys who it seems like he was at Stanford forever. But that's just because he uh, has been a huge uh, player for them for the past three or four years. He's a perennial all-pack 12 guy, uh, a, a big kind of long six seven three hundred pound uh, tackle who's a uh, uh, you know he's a great NFL prospect not probably not to me a first or second round type guy because he's probably going to be more of a right tackle he isn't uh, as mobile or as versatile athletically as uh, some of the other guys on the board but he's the kind of guy who I think I really project as being a right, NFL right tackle for a long time. Do you think we're seeing kind of a a different mold in terms of these guys that are going to play tackle in the NFL. I mean, you said six, seven, 300 pounds. It seems like, you know, 10 years ago, all these tackles were at least 320. I mean, I know we're only talking about a 20 pound difference, but some of these guys are even bigger than that. I know maybe guards are a a little bit heavier nowadays, but do you think this is kind of a new trend that we're seeing kind of a maybe a sleeker, more athletic tackle that's, that is really the rising prospect nowadays? Yeah, I think so, and I think it starts at college, and I guess Stanford's one of the few not good examples, but I think it's, uh, you know, with colleges moving so much to those faster schemes that you couldn't really, it was hard to succeed with the 320, 330 guys, so coming an NFL kind of just has to take what comes out of college, and so I think, yeah, the college has started, you know, pushing out more of those, you know, guys who are around 300 to tackle and, you know, uh, that can move them maybe a little bit better. And I think that's kind of what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some people, you know, tend to see guys, see guys that are maybe even under that 300 mark and, and maybe not take them <laughs> seriously as prospects. But I think uh, the mold is uh, definitely changing now. Now, I don't remember the specs on this next guy, but what do we think about the Stanford guard, Josh Gartnett? Garnett, sorry. Garnett, he's a bigger guy. He's like uh, 6'5", 320, 325. Uh, really interesting prospect who was maybe the the top guard coming out of uh, high school in the entire country and kind of honestly under underachieved in his first three years at Stanford. Then suddenly as a senior, turned into an Outland Trophy winner, uh, unquestioned the best guard in the country. Just kind of put it all together in his last year. Uh, just been a really, you know, strong kind of mauler, uh, but also really polished, pure interior lineman. He's not a guy who you see a lot of these guys like, oh, he might be a guard, but he might be a tackle. No, he's he's a guard. He's kind of that, you know, uh, I don't really know how to describe it perfectly, but kind of like that pluggy uh, guy you stick in the middle who's going to, you know, uh, own the interior of the offensive line. Uh, he's a little, he, like Murphy, he's not as mobile as some of the other guys on the board, so... I think that might push him down into the third round, but I, I, he seems like a guy who just looks like an NFL guard to me already. Well, in case you missed it, I had a, and I'm talking to Jack and everybody out there listening. I had a mock draft come out last uh, this this past Monday here, and I actually had both of these guys going in the second. I like both of them a lot. Uh, Garnett, if you need interior help, like Jack said, especially in your run game, I think he's that's going to be 
he's going to be really key because he, he gets a lot of push uh, right right up there in the guts there with the uh, with the run game. Do you think maybe though, like you said, it's maybe his lack of success is going to maybe hurt him? Or do you think people will see you know maybe that's going to just help not help his transition into the NFL? I think it might raise some tiny question marks of saying that, you know, why was this guy kind of just, you know, a pedestrian uh, player his first few years in college, but then suddenly just exploded? Uh, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that maybe people closer to closer to his program might have an answer for why that was. Uh, that's the kind of thing I feel like, you know, a lot of times the media n- never really knows. Uh, but I don't think that would be – too big of a deal, and like you said, I could see teams uh, really falling falling in love with a guy uh, with those kind of skills who also comes from Stanford, uh, and you know, taking him as high as early second or even maybe the late first. If someone really wants a guard and wants a you know a pure guard, uh, I don't think he's going to have to worry about too much of that stuff. I think it's mainly the only mainly question marks for him is uh, is he athletic enough to you know really work in a, a a, a faster game at the next level. Yeah. Well, and I and I think, too, a lot of times, probably after, like, those t- first 15 or 20 picks in the first round, um, it becomes more of a, a, a need than a, a best player available for a lot of teams. So that can maybe help guard that as well. Uh, what do we think about the, these guys' as quarterback, Kevin Ogan? Kevin Hogan, similar situation to Garnett, uh, a guy who his first three years of college just had, you know, a, had the world by the tail with his physical abilities, but was most people just kind of, uh, most people really questioned him because he just never seemed to put it together and seemed to kind of be actually the weak spot of the, the Stanford team his first three years. And as a senior, it just all kind of came together for him, and he was the main reason they went from, uh, I think it was a nine-win team uh, his junior year to what they did this year. Um, still not a guy who, uh, despite being a big, really athletic, strong guy, still has the question marks that aren't going to make him, I think, uh, you know, first or second, maybe even third rounder. But he has the physical tools to, that are just about as good as almost any quarterback in this draft. And, you know, if someone can maybe convince themselves that, he can keep on that progression and become an NFL quarterback. Uh, if he puts it all together the way he did his senior year and keeps moving on, there's nothing that could stop him really from being uh, an NFL starter, in my opinion. Yeah, and like you said, if he's got allowed a couple of years to develop, maybe he can he can peak in the NFL as well. Now, do we think, and I don't know where your heart lies, I know you're a Pac-12 guy, but do we think maybe sometimes these Stanford guys get a little bit – too much credit because it's maybe a harder school academically, or am I just way off in that statement? Uh, yeah, I, I I think what one of the quiet uh, things that made Stanford become a great football program is they started letting in guys. They started making more of a compromise with letting in players who they maybe weren't letting in academically before. That that's a thing for sure. Is Kevin Hogan one of those guys? Particularly, I don't know. Overall, though, yeah, I think there are situations where maybe people uh, people uh, give guys too much credit just because they see Stanford on the name, and maybe that guy's not actually, you know, uh, uh, an academic slash, you know, kind of uh, mind whiz. But 
uh, with specific guys to guys, you know, I'm not in the classroom. I don't know these guys personally. So it's really hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, well, that guy's just getting the credit or that guy's the guy who really could have gotten to Stanford even if he wasn't a football player. Okay. Uh, what do we think about tight end Austin Hooper? I, I, I know people like him, but he's young, right? Yeah, I, I Stanford lists their players academically uh, by their academic year. So I think he's listed as a junior, but he's really a redshirt sophomore. So I was really surprised when he declared just because Stanford uh, is usually not a, is maybe the program in the country. You don't see guys declare early unless they're really, really, really uh, – a huge slam dunk, and he kind of surprised me by going early. Uh, to me, he's another guy, just another Stanford tight end like uh, Kobe Fleener, uh, Zach Ertz, who's next to the line is that big, uh, strong uh, guy who's just perfect in their system. I don't know. He, he didn't prove nearly as much, in my opinion, as uh, Fleener or Ertz did in college, but he's a guaranteed, uh, you know, at, at worst, second or third best tight end in this draft, and maybe that's why he declared, uh, maybe even the best, just because he has that more of that full package and maybe someone who's just a, a better receiver. But in that Stanford system, he had to block so much that that's not going to be a huge adjustment for him at the next level. Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. That's going to maybe help him depending on the scheme that he gets in. That's going to help him uh, transition. You know, we talk about tight ends a lot, taking the good two to three years to develop in the NFL, so maybe that's that'll help him out. All right, I'm going to try to say this next name, and I and I, it's I'm not trying to swear. I I honestly am. Uh, Aziz Shitu is the defensive end there for uh, the Stanford Cardinal. What do you got on him? Yeah, uh, kind of a classic uh, cleaner uh, guy who really. Um, even in college, he was kind of, you know, he played defensive end and defensive tackle, and, you know, he's kind of, he's small for a defensive tackle, but he's also uh, not, not you know, an athletic type player you want to see as a defensive end. So he's kind of, you know, an interesting guy to peg there. You know, sometimes, though, with guys like Hitu, that can end up being, you know, an advantage in that, you know, he had people see that versatility, and he, he really showed that his uh, his last year in college, his, uh, his senior year, where, he just made plays all over the field up front for Stanford where they really needed that, and, you know, they had a really, really good defense. Uh, I don't know I don't know if he's uh, even, you know, a third or a fourth round guy. I think that's kind of his ceiling. But, you know, if you're looking for just a pure defensive lineman, I think once you start to get into the second half of the draft, I think he's a guy you really got to look at, especially because, like, the story of Stanford this year with uh, Hogan and Garnett, he's a guy who really stepped it up as a senior, and uh, maybe maybe he can just keep progressing at the next level. Well, and he's a guy, too, with so many sub-package things going on right now in the NFL. If you're able to bring a guy like this um, who's fresh off the bench to do some damage, he's you know, he's 6'2", 284, so if, you're, if you have a guy with that kind of – oh weight that comes off the bench that can maybe move some people around or, you know, be a be a bad matchup for a tight end, oh, like in a certain long type of thing. I think he could that – that might be how he has to cut his teeth early. But I, I, I like him a lot. I think he just plays with so much so much heart, and I know that's kind of hard to measure, but he, you just see a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of drive in this guy. Uh, Nick, did you have any questions about these Stanford guys? 
Well, it seems to be a recurring theme that uh, a lot of these guys really stepped it up this last season. Uh, did Stanford as a team do, have some coaching changes or anything like that uh, that uh, helped these guys improve so much in their senior years? No, I, I, it was just kind of a interesting thing where I don't think there was any particular changes that were made public, but Stanford just bounced back from a 9-1 season uh, by having these guys just have these huge, huge, huge progressions from their junior to their senior year. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone uh, in recent history as improve as much as Garnett and uh, Hogan did junior to senior years. And I think maybe it's just, uh, you know, the the factor of their program and their that scheme just really finally putting it all together. Okay. Well, we're running a little short on time, so let's go right to Vernon Adams, Oregon Ducks. Vernon Adams, uh, you know, complete, maybe the wild card of the draft, definitely the wild card of the draft at quarterback for me, just because there maybe wasn't a more efficient quarterback in the country when he was on the field uh, this year than Adams when he was out there. But he's tiny, and he gets compared to Russell Wilson a lot, but that he's not even really a Russell Wilson because he's a lot – he has the same height, but he's a lot uh, – He's a lot more slighter than than Wilson was. Not not the, quite the athlete, and more much more injury prone. But he's a guy who, uh, more than anyone I've ever seen, just isn't afraid to put the ball up and let his receivers make plays. And he's a bizarre player who looks like he's out of shape and uh, just you know played in a smaller school and just throws these like hail marys that seem, seemingly on every play, but they work time after time. And uh, so I'm really interested to see what where he gets picked and what happens with his NFL career. Okay. Yeah. I do feel like backup quarterback is maybe an underrated thing going into this draft in terms of, I think a lot of teams seem to be set at quarterback. Obviously there's teams that be quarterbacks, but I feel like every team needs just a quality back quarterback. And whether you want to invest in a young guy like that, like this, it's, it's, it's a huge question, but um, I think a senior bowl obviously is going to make some people think twice about him and maybe look at him a, a little harder. I do hear what you're saying about the injury prone guy. Um, uh, one guy that I, I don't know, I, I, you're going to have to sell me hard on this guy because I don't see it. I see maybe just a bit of a gentle giant out of this guy. What do you think about DeForest Buckner, Oregon Ducks? Oh man. Uh, I actually uh, could see Buckner going as high as number three. He, uh, as, as you point out, he's obviously he, he's massive. I think mean, he's listed six seven two ninety five. Pac twelve defensive player of the year. He uh, he was better, I think, as a junior than Eric Armstead, who went in the first round last year, was. Uh, but he came back for I don't really for for a lot of reasons, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I think he he was just a guy who at times seemingly held the Oregon defense down all by himself. Uh, a bit of a tweener, in my opinion, kind of like a lot, a lot like Armstead uh, as well. It's just a guy who I'm not sure if he has the athleticism and speed at defensive at the next level or if he can hold up inside. But I I, I, I like him. I, I think that he, uh, you know, he has that experience of just being an, an all, uh, you know, the all-encompassing player for a defense uh, already, and he has the skills to at least be a player at either position, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's not a hard worker. I don't think he's not a, a, 
I think he's a good player. I just don't know if he's a great player. And I think, more importantly, I just don't think he's a sexy player. He's not a guy that's going to get 10 to 12 sacks. Um, and I just I think he's more maybe uh, kind of reminds me of a Dante Fowler a little bit last year. Obviously, we weren't able to see what he was able to do at the next level because of the injury. Um, but I just feel like he's maybe a guy that's going to set the edge, but he's not a guy that's necessarily going to record the stats and make the huge tackles there. So I, I just I, – and I don't know. I feel like when, you know, pass rusher and cornerbacks and wide receivers are kind of the positions everybody wants right now, I just don't see why people are jumping on him so early. I think he if he goes to some team, I would tend to look at – like I had him going to Atlanta in my mock draft. I would tend to think – that's going to help raise Vic Beasley's value on the other side if they go that route. So I guess we'll see. Um, Cody Kessler, quarterback, USC. What do we think about Mr. Kessler? A lot of experience there. Uh, he's one of the guys out there that I just am not really that big on. To me, he at best is kind of like a poor man's Matt Barkley in that he's, you know, he's not that big. He's, I wouldn't be surprised if he measures in around six foot, not that thick. Uh, not, not that athletic, put up big numbers, throw into a lot of good receivers, but never really never really turned it on in crunch time at USC. He never seemed to be that guy who, uh, who, who, who stepped up in big games, which if you're not doing that in college, I don't really know why that would happen at the next level. Uh, maybe a guy who uh, someone takes late uh, as a backup who could maybe turn into an NFL player, but I'm not that big on Gessler. Okay. Um, Scooby Wright, the third, Mr. Arizona Wildcats. What do we think about this guy? Uh, tough guy to uh, project, especially because he missed uh, pretty much all of his uh, last season with uh, injury. Uh, just a pure, nasty, great football player who, who proved about as much as he possibly could as a sophomore. Uh, like, his stats were insane. I think he cleaned up. Uh, a lot of defensive awards as a sophomore uh, who just as maybe the best linebacker, best defensive player in the country that early in his career. But I think he was actually a walk-on coming into school. He is kind of a really unique player. He, he He's big. He's heavy. Uh, maybe not that, uh, maybe not that tall kind of in the six one, six two, close to two fifty range. Uh, a guy who's, as I said, it's kind of hard to peg because he's a great college player but doesn't necessarily have the intangibles that makes him, you know, that NFL teams love to see, uh, you know. So I think he goes maybe late first, uh, somewhere in the second, and it could easily be a guy who turns into a, to an all-pro, but at the same time has that potential to be a guy who maybe doesn't have the physical intangibles to be, to be a star at the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see, I think, a lot of that with these guys that play inside at the NFL, or excuse me, at the college level. And if, if they're able to make that transition in the NFL, it's a little little hard to, to judge because you don't see that pure athleticism, um, but you want to look at, like, lateral movement. How are they able to, uh, you know, chop things down laterally? Do you, do you think he is able to do that? If he, if he, is, he, is he good laterally? Do you know if he's not a straight-ahead runner? Is he, is he good laterally? Is I know he played outside and inside in college. Is that going to help him out? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he that versatility. He's not, you know, an athlete. If he was an athlete like Miles Jack, he'd be like a top five, top ten pick. He's not that. But I think 
what he showed by going so quickly from a walk-on to All-American at Arizona is that he's the kind of guy who's going to work at it and uh, isn't going to let that kind of stuff hold him back. And I think that versatility is really going to help him, actually, because it won't peg him into one spot. Uh, it won't mean that he's going to have to, you know, be be that, you know, straight-ahead inside guy uh, at the next level to give him more flexibility, especially in the draft where, you know, teams aren't don't want to jump too early on maybe a, a just a really specialty guy. And we didn't purposely skip Miles Jack today. I, I just feel like there's maybe been a lot, a lot said about him, and we we bring Jack on because he really knows the Pac-12. And I want to get some. I want to get everybody out there listening a little bit more knowledge on some of these other guys. Um, obviously, and then, and then we're going to now talk about Jared Goff. There's been a lot of opinions flying around. What, what do we think of Mr. Goff there, Jack? I love Goff. He had a. He legitimately had a weird kind of bad stretch in the middle of the season, but from watching him almost week in and week out, there were times early in the season and late in the season where it just seemed like he was Cal's whole team, and he was just making every single throw when they needed it. When he was put, when they weren't that great of a team, but they were going up in even matchups like against Texas and Washington, where just like okay, Cal is going to lose this game by 21 points if they don't, uh, if Goff doesn't make just tough throw after tough throw. And in my opinion right now, uh, the NFL is uh, dying for guys who can make those kind of throws, even if they're not that great physically, which Goff is not a physical specimen. But to me, you know, the the golden goose in the NFL right now should be that guy who can just make every throw because uh, the only guys who seem to be able to do that in the league right now are all – pushing 40, so he could be with the next generation of one of those guys. Yeah, and and I feel like, too, especially with quarterbacks, I am more concerned about accuracy than power. Where, where do you think he is, he, is he more accurate than powerful, or is, is he got a nice, is he's got a nice powerful deep ball, too? Uh, he's got a, he's got a nice deep ball, but I don't, I don't think that's his calling card. I think his calling card is being able to drop back, stand in pressure, and just deliver those, you know, 10 to 15-yard passes on third down that third down that kill a defense when you think you have them stopped. And he's not the biggest guy, but he can hang in there and uh, make, a, make a little bit of plays, get himself, you know, free a little bit with his feet when he needs to, uh, yeah, and, and deliver an accurate ball. He's not, you know, a big gunslinger that is going to be bombing it down the field like maybe some of the other guys in the uh, the draft. He's just a guy who, you know, third and eight, third and nine, uh, you want to have on your team. Okay, last name here. We we just got a minute, Jack. Uh, High Point Ninja, Mr. Kenny Lawler. If you haven't watched film on this guy, you got to do so. He's he's a lot of fun. What do you think? Yeah, great uh, red zone. One of the be- best red zone prospects. Uh, at a receiver or even tight end, I guess, in this draft. Uh, he, has, he caught a ton of touchdowns uh, this year. Not not necessarily a, a big play, uh, uh, you know, burner type guy, but he has the size at around 6'3", 200 to, you know, you can throw the ball up and he's going to make the catch. And that's another thing that I think, you know, uh, NFL teams are really looking for. Uh, that, that lack of speed might keep, keep them out of the first round because of the other big receivers who are faster, but he's a great second, third, maybe fourth round 
receiver available out there who, because you know he might be able to make an impact in your uh, in your red zone offense the second he shows up. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nick, any questions about those last few guys that we talked about there? Uh, just real quick on Jared Goff, do you think he's polished enough to be a day one starter in the NFL, or would you prefer to see him uh, sit on the bench for a year or two and kind of learn system? I think the trend now, if you're going to take a guy as high as he's going to go, he has to be ready to to play from day one. And I think he will be able to. Uh, I think he he has a lot of experience carrying a team that's not that great, and I think that's gonna that's gonna really help. I don't think he's going to be a guy who steps in from day one and is a star. He's going to have, you know, a learning curve, as we've seen, I think, kind of with some other guys. Maybe even not to the – maybe he won't, He might not even be as ready as uh, Winston or Mariota were, were last year. But I think he's a guy who – just because he can make those throws already, I think you want to get him out there and just get him start playing. Okay. All right. Well, thank thank you for giving us the lowdown on the Pac-12. We do appreciate it. Um, like I said, we didn't purposely skip Miles Jack, and I and I kind of did a full fledged love fest for Stuart Cravens a couple months ago. So we, everybody knows he's awesome, right, Jack? I mean, you got any concerns? Yeah. There? No, I mean the only concern would be the tweener uh, aspect of him, but I think especially in that role of kind of linebacker safety, even especially from the Pac-12, you've already seen guys like uh, Dion Buchanan and Shaq Thompson prove really quickly that you can do that now. I think that's uh, not the uh, the detriment it used to be, and it almost can be a, a positive thing with uh, the passing attacks they're going to see now. I Yeah, I don't have really any concerns about him. Okay. Well, it is time to start the Super Bowl roundtable, and like I said, Jack was kind enough to stick around. Um, so let's uh, let's patch these other guys through here. I'm not sure if this is is this Gene or Alex. Fifty fifty shot. This is this is Hello, Gene. You? Hey, Gene, how's it going? Thanks for thanks for coming back to the oh, podcast. Well. Yeah, of course. It's uh, Gene Clemens, fbgameplan.com. Also, an author of the most amazing book about football myths. Um, is that when's that part two coming out, Jay? Gene, I, I need those second <laughs> set of myths. What do you got for me? Buddy? Any, any breaking you gotta, news here? You have to you have to talk to Emery on that one. Emery, um, all right. Emery, honey, he handles all the all the business with the other books. But we did come out with a couple other books. Um, what football teach me and football a love story, which were a collection of interviews from various coaches and um, personnel from people around the NFL and around college about the things that made them fall in love with the game and things they learned from the game. I think that so much of what's been out there is so negative about football. It was good to do a project where we just talked about why it is we actually love the game and why it's been so so instrumental in our lives. So it was a it was a fun book to um fun couple books to make and. You know, who knows what's next? Maybe we need to get on that second list book. All right. Well, I, I, I will check those out because I certainly enjoyed enjoyed you guys' other stuff there. So um, we also have uh, Bill Layton on the line here. He's one of our IDP contributors and uh, newest uh, newest uh, defensive ranker. How's it going, Bill? Hey, how are you? Good. We are uh, getting ready for the round tape. I can, yep, I can hear you just fine. Yep. Um. So, Bill, can you hear us, Bill? Yes, absolutely. 
Okay. Okay, and I just got word from Alex that he is uh, unfortunately had had an emergency and he's not going to be able to make it. But that is that is okay. We got we got we got a number of guys here, so we're going to make this work. We got what do we got? Five people. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, like I said, you guys have all set out the questions. This is our Super Bowl roundtable. This is the first time that me and Nick have ever done this on uh, DFW, but we've done this over the past couple of years. So, um, um, it, it, if you haven't listened to it before, it's just it's kind of like I said. Uh, Basically, uh, you know, just a set of, set of questions where all, everybody's going to have a chance to go first, kind of a kind of a town hall meeting of sorts type of thing. So uh, maybe I'm just doing the political mind to use that reference, but I did. So here we go. Um, we are going to start with Gene uh, and the first question here. So Gene, um, get get it light, light and easy to get things going. But uh, what uh, what is your favorite Super Bowl play of all time? Oh goodness, my my favorite Super Bowl play of all time. I my favorite play of all time I'm happen with with the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and Ben Roethlisberger. And full disclosure, I I was never a personal big Ben fan, but I, I love his game. And um in the Super Bowl when he was rolling out and he was able to throw that ball in the smallest window possible and and, and get it to Antonio Holmes and who only had literally like a half an inch to tap his toes down to get 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 it in for the for the touch. To me that was a that was a play that was phenomenal and I mean if they go out and they run that by themselves ten times they probably complete it maybe once or twice. So to do it under that type of pressure with defenders on the field, it, it was just a phenomenal play and, and definitely a play that's gonna go down in history as one of the best in Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. That was a, a a fabulous play, and like you said, the the tight window that they were able to pull that off. Um, you know, it's a good play when you you have to see the replay to figure out if it was actually uh, uh legit. Um, Jack, what do you what do you got for us? I'm gonna be play? a bit. Yeah, I'm gonna be a bit biased because uh, I'm a Seahawks fan. Uh, so I'm gonna go with uh the, the Super Bowl win over Denver when uh uh Harvin took the second half kickoff back for a touchdown. Because you know, as a fan at that point, you know they had a pretty big lead and uh you figured they were gonna win. But that was the kind of play but you know, you never you didn't know what was, was gonna happen in the second half if Denver was gonna fold or not, and that was a play that kind of officially broke it open and the party started. Uh yeah, yeah, that was um an early nail in the coffin, that's for sure. Uh, Nick, what do you got for us? Well, I'm going to be like Jack, and I'm going to have a homer pick. I, I don't know how it would be possible not to. I think maybe only people whose teams haven't won a Super Bowl should get to answer this question. But anyway, as a 36-year-old Skins fan, I only remember the last two Super Bowl wins, but those were both blowouts. So I'm going to have to go with the John Regan's touchdown run on fourth down to clinch the Redskins' first Super Bowl win. Even though I was too young to remember it, just – Watching the replays of it, I still get chills watching that stiff arm. It's such a great play. Okay, Bill, what do you got for us? Well, I'm going to show you guys how unbiased I am because I think one of the greatest plays I've ever witnessed in my lifetime is a 30-year-old muscular, big-bodied running back, or excuse me, linebacker, taking it to the house 100 yards. Uh, James Harrison's uh, interception return touchdown that play with, with uh, the end of the game doesn't happen if he doesn't score that touchdown. So, to me, that touchdown 
by far is one of the greatest plays I've seen. You know, um, he he evaded tacklers. Um, it, you know, he 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 looked like a running back, and uh, it was it was pretty spectacular. In fact, for the show, I watched it like ten times, and still I'm shaking my head <laughs> as as a diehard Cardinals fan. Um, it was just absolutely a phenomenal athletic play on his part, and to me, one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, full disclosure, yeah, Bill, a huge Cardinals fan. Um, and me and Nick had the pleasure to talk to uh, Bob McGinn. From uh, he's a press, is he, uh, a beat writer for the Green Bay Packers, but he is so much more than that. He also has a book out about the Super Bowl, and he said last year he told us that he thought that was maybe the greatest play in Super Bowl history. Um, but I, of course. I'm going to go back to the bias trend, but I'm not going to talk about it myself. I'm going to let Todd Christensen, uh, Marcus Allen, and, of course, President Ronald Reagan do the talk. That play was 17, Bob Trey O. Even now, whenever I see that highlight, I get tingles. I remember John Facenda saying, here comes Marcus Allen running with the night. Next, and I, we do have documentation of us predicting every division 
uh, on on the podcast airwaves here at Blog Talk Radio. But I forgot to listen to that, Nick. So you can lie and say that. Oh yeah, you had Carolina going fifteen one. What do you what do you what do you remember about that prediction, Nick? Well, I don't remember exactly, but I would guess that in the off season, I think they would. I have predicted they would go second behind Atlanta, but then after the Kelvin Benjamin injury, I probably would have dropped them down to third in the NFC South behind Atlanta and New Orleans. Yeah, I just didn't think there was any way Jonathan Stewart was going to stay healthy all year, and I was I was still buying low on Cam Newton in fantasy leagues, but in no way did I foresee an MVP type of season from him. That was just incredible what he did this year. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Bill, what do you think? Um, I'm pretty much with the consensus at eight and eight, nine and seven. I did believe uh, Atlanta would win that division with probably a ten and six or eleven and five record. I thought that that team would be much better than it was this year. Defensively, they just let me down. Beasley didn't really show up. The linebacking core, you know, was was underperforming, and it just was a little bit of a disastrous uh, defensive uh, situation. I will say that one of the things that I have to correct in my own dynasty football. Uh, flaws, if you will, is I have a tendency to not uh, accumulate or go after guys that I don't like. And uh, I don't like Cam Newton. Um, I I could sit for an hour and tell you why, but the guy is phenomenal. And uh, objectively, I have to move him up to first or second on the uh, quarterback list, you know, Andrew Luck being the only other person that I would consider. Um, So I I was dead wrong about Cam Newton and his skill set. Um, to, to do that with that Motley group with Ted Ginn and Philly Brown, um, I mean, I watched him just slice and dice the Cardinals. He, his execution, his delivery, his poise, he's he's elite. And, and the more I talk about it, the more I think he may deserve the number one overall uh, dynasty quarterback uh, spot right now. Yeah, and I think one thing that gets lost with Cam Newton is the fact that, you know, people still want to call him, the running or scrambling quarterback. But typically those guys don't stay healthy. He has, for the majority of his career, been healthy besides an awkward car accident at the end of last year, and that was obviously something that happened off the field. He, you know, he's had his things and, and dents, but he's a guy that's been healthy. And what he was able to do to, to bring this team up, I mean, and that's what great quarterbacks do. We talk about that all the time. What they do is they make those around them better, and that's exactly what he did. And what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. I had Carolina finish second behind Atlanta, of course. So, <laughs> I'm sorry to get off on a tangent. Gene, where did you have Carolina finish? In the beginning of the well, I had them finishing first, but I agree with the other gentleman. Um, I, once, once Calvin Benjamin went down, I really, I really thought that it would be it's like last year where team came out that was either eight and eight or even seven and nine and won division and limped their way into the playoffs. I really thought this would be a great year for Cam Newton. I'll tell you why. In the off season when he signed what's now looking like the the smartest deal ever made by a by a team because they got him for what I consider to be probably 80%, maybe even 70% of what he should have what he should have received. I think that he that felt like a affirmation that he was on the right track and he it felt like a lot of weight. To me a lot of weight was lifted when you heard him talk, he was really calm, he was really matter of fact. He 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 almost it almost felt like he didn't care about the people who didn't like him anymore. And he was like, you know what, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to do what I do because I, I like who I am. And that showed on the field this year. So I, I thought he would have a phenomenal year. I thought they would have a, a suspect year because I didn't think they'd have anybody to throw the ball to. 
other than Greg Olson, but and and I actually I, I thought that D'Angelo Williams um, letting him go was a mistake as well. I still believe it, but I thought it would be a lot. It would hurt a lot more than it did in the long run. Yeah, and I think the reasoning behind me giving you know the downgrade after the Benjamin injury is was I was not a huge fan of Benjamin coming out. I liked the size, and I thought he would be a kind of a gimmick player, but I don't think anybody saw him doing what he did as a rookie. Um, but I think also people, a lot, of thought, a lot of people thought he was doing that out of necessity because they really had nobody else to throw to besides Greg Olson, like Gene said. Um, so when they lost him, I think a lot of people were just like, oh, man, that was, that was going to be a huge blow, but they uh, they certainly proved otherwise. Okay, um, now I really tried hard not to uh, put in a question here about Peyton Manning's legacy because I'm sure everybody's bored to death about hearing about that. But, of course, then this question fell out of me about the Denver defense. Well, will, Nick, will this Denver defense – where will this Denver defense rank in history? Should they win this game? Well, I would think they would have to be top five, right? I mean, it's tough to say when it's a current team, you know, but it's not like this Denver defense is a one-year wonder. They've been really good for a number of years now. I mean, even Tim Tebow won a playoff game with the Denver defense backing him up. But, you know, with the rule changes over the last 15, 20 years, I think they should get some bonus points. When the steel curtain was dominating, there was no protecting defenseless receivers, and helmet-to-helmet was considered a good thing. So I just believe the degree of difficulty is a factor. You know, it's harder to be a top-notch unit because of the rules now. You know, the 85 Bears, the Ravens from the early 2000s, all the top historical defenses, they could do a lot more intimidation-wise than is currently allowed. So I think they would be a top-five defense. Okay, Bill, what do you think? Well, it's interesting that uh, Nick would bring up that point because I actually will boldly say that if they win this Super Bowl and shut Cam Newton down, I believe they'll be a top-two defense uh, all-time, and it's just for that reason because in today's NFL, you cannot do one-tenth of what you could do even ten years ago. And um, the way that these guys are getting at the quarterback and putting pressure on the quarterback, the way they play man coverage, uh, the athleticism of that group from A to Z, um, it, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty awesome. And so I would say, you know, one of the top two defenses of all time. So who else are you throwing in there with the top two there, Bill? Uh, to me, it's 85, 85 Bears, and part of that is um, the age that I was and when I saw them play. It was really when I was really getting excited about the NFL. And uh, the brutality and physicality of it was so impressive at that time when you could just lay a guy out and they just would not, you know, you shall not pass, basically. Uh, it, it was a pretty uh, amazing, amazing sight to watch. So I put the 85 Bears at the top of the pedestal and par- partially for emotional uh, connection there. Uh, I, I respect that emotional connection because that was quite that was quite the team, you know. Even from the the Super Bowl shuffle antics, that was such a such a huge moment in history of of, of the game. Um, one thing, I, and I, I agree kind of both with with you guys there in terms of the Ravens of the 2000s and the '85 Bears. I think that's those are certainly the teams that other teams that come to discussion when when I try to think about this. But one thing that I would think Denver has a little bit of a nod to the 85 Bears the cornerbacks. I can't remember who the cornerbacks were in that 85 Bears team, and I think that should be uh, – that should tell you the big enough, a big enough tale. I think Leslie Frazier was one of them, and maybe Mike Richardson, but these guys were not guys these, – these, this was not um, Tlaib 
and Chris Harris. I mean, Chris Harris might be one of the top five players in the NFL. I honestly believe that. I think he is just a dynamite player. Doesn't get enough credit. And I and I so I'd, I I think I'll throw them in there with the three. But I just wanted to say that because as much as respect I have for the '85 Bears, they did that with with not very dominant cornerbacks. And I do realize the game was different back then, and it wasn't the the passing juggernaut it is. But I I, w- I would certainly say they're in the top three discussion there. Gene, what do you think? Well, anytime people bring up defenses and they talk about the 85 Bears, I always have one question, and I understand that 85, they were dominant. But what what happened the other years? I mean, they were so dominant one year. They they elevated their team that one year, but the rest of the year they were just kind of, uh. And so, um, for me, I look at the Ravens and what they were able to do, um, the Ray Lewis Ravens, as I like to call them, because essentially it was his entire era, and they were dominant for a long period of time. I even look at, I mean, I know a lot of people don't talk about it, and maybe people will say it's a homer thing because I'm from Tampa, but um, I'm, I'm a Tampa Bay guy anyway. Um, the Tampa Bay Bucks, when they won it, you know, that defense that they had was a was a defense that are probably going to end up having maybe five, maybe six Hall of Famers on it. Um, but I, I think if I was trying to put Denver into a category, that's where I would put them. I would probably put them along with the Bucks, but not at the level of the Ravens, in my opinion, or the one-year the one year success of the Bears. So I, I think that's where they would fall. They'd probably fall more where the Bucks are for me. Yeah, very good point on that Tampa Bay team there, Gene. Uh, Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I put them right up there with those uh, defenses that have all been mentioned as uh, not only a one-year thing of, you know, being a defense that wins the team a Super Bowl uh, and is that dominant, but also kind of is that uh, lifetime achievement award as well, as you kind of saw with uh, those other defenses like Tampa Bay and uh, Baltimore, who were great for years and were able to get a Super Bowl or two out of it. I think that will be a big thing for them uh, to put them right there and say, you know, uh, this is the year they got the Super Bowl, but they were also really, really good uh, for for a lot of years, and I think that would really, really kind of be you know that the icing on the cake to to make people remember them for what they are. Well, and I think to further Gene's point, I think even if Peyton Manning retires and Brock Osweiler is the quarterback next year, this team is still going to be picked to win the division, even if they lose this game, even if they're somehow picked apart by the Carolina offense. I just I I think there's so much talent there, and I mean, if you if you doubt any any of it, just watch Von Miller sack Tom Brady like he did a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how how low can you go and not not be crawling on all fours to get to the quarterback? I, I just I could watch it watch those sacks over and over again because that was like textbook pass rushing to me. And uh yeah, they they he's still a young guy, so they have a lot they have a, a nice strength and a perfect pass rusher to build this team around for for at least the next handful of years, I believe. Um Bill, you gotta go first here. What defensive player will have the biggest impact in this game, Bill? What do you think? Well I think with uh Thomas Davis being nicked up, I think I'm a big Shaq fan, and I, I don't think he's gotten a whole lot of pub and a lot of uh, a lot of um, statistics this season. But I think Shaq, you know, at the linebacker position, is one of these guys uh, that can cover sideline to sideline as fast as anybody. He's got you know quick. T- he's a quick twitch athlete, 
Um, we could be talking about him as, you know, a top 10, top 12 linebacker next year, depending on what Davis does um, and, and how they, you know, proceed. But this kid is pretty electric, and, and I'm trying to accumulate shares of him in, in pretty, pretty much every every league that I'm in. Um, I did not see it coming out of college. I mean, I thought he was a good athlete, but I didn't see it on the field. Um, after watching some film and watching him um, in the NFL, I think he's going to succeed uh, quite well. And I think that um, in this game that Denver's going to have to get the running game going, and I think that he's going to be a focal point and the key to to uh, defensively shutting that down. Okay. And so you're obviously talking about Shaq Thompson. Not, yes. Not the other Shaq, Shaq Barrett. Okay, just just make it sure. No. Um, I'm a fan of both Shaqs. I'm a fan of Shaquille O'Neal, too, but I'm a fan of both Shaqs. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, it's my turn to go next. Um, I, I totally hear what you're saying, and I think that, like you said, that is a huge key there. Um, and I feel like I maybe should have thought about this question a lot more, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm going to go back to Vaughn Miller. If if Carolina is able to control him, I think um, they they do a good job in this game. And one thing I think is going to come into play with that, if Carolina is able to control him or somehow slow him down, when Newton is out there trying to trying to make time, you know, for his receivers to get open, I don't know if they can get open against Harrison. I mean, that's that's one thing that's going to I think prevent and they're going to put a lot more stress on this Carolina offensive line is to control Vaughn Miller when when Newton is running around because let's face it, Denver has has the abilities to get those coverage sacks with the t- kind of corners and the rest of the guys on that on that defense. I mean, Darian Stewart, Bradley Roby, um, forgetting the other guy's name, uh, uh, T.J. Ward. I mean, they have like five or six athletes in that secondary that are just awesome, and that is. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to see how that how that comes into play here. Uh, Gene, what do you think? Best, best. What defensive player will have the biggest impact in this game? Yeah, I think that I think that it's come down to Luke Keekley. I think this is his time. Um, he he's a guy who's been arguably the best linebacker for the last few years, inarguably this year. I think it's clear. Um, this is the, this is the, the pivotal moment that when you, if you want to go down in the annals as one of the greats, one of the all-time greats, you have to show up and have a have a monster game in the Super Bowl. And I and I think he's. I actually think this offense works out perfectly for him because of the type of running game they have, and because of the way Peyton Manning likes to attack a defense. He he loves his tight ends. He loves intermediate routes. And those are the things that Luke Keekley, I mean, he just excels at getting to the ball, especially in the middle of the field. So it'll be interesting to see how they employ employ him in the in the Super Bowl. I think he's going to have a phenomenal game, and ultimately may be the reason why Carolina wins it all. Would you go as far to predict another pick six, three in a row, Gene? What do you think? I I think I think it's it's I I would put. If it was a if it was a prop bet, I'm betting it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think anybody else would disagree with you there. Uh, Jack, what do you think? Uh, this simple answer, uh, go Keekly as well. Same thing. Uh, I think this is the time for him to. It's where he's going to define his career. You know, uh, pretty early in his career, and just kind of solidify 
uh, you know, the player that he is on, on the biggest stage, and that's going to be one of the – maybe the story coming out, of, coming out of the game. Okay. Well, full disclosure, my co-host Nick here has a dynasty team named after Luke Keekley. So is he going to go there too? Nick, what do you think? Uh, yeah, Gene and Jack took the words right out of my mouth. It's got to be Luke Keekley. Uh You look at Denver in the playoffs, uh, they've been running the ball and throwing, throwing to the, their tight end. So if Keekley can stop them from doing those two things and force Peyton Manning to throw the receivers on the outside, that could give Josh Norman and company some chances to jump some passes. You know, I think if Peyton Manning has a lot of success with the intermediate throws in the middle of the field, then it's going to be really tough for Carolina to win. Okay. All right, my chance to go first here. Um, other other than the quarterbacks, who do we think is going to be this, the game's MVP? Um, well, we've we've already explored the Keegley round, um, but I and I, there's a lot of buzz around uh, Emmanuel Sanders just because there's obviously been a connection, especially this year with him and Peyton Manning. Uh, but I'm going to go to Demarius Thomas. You know, last time this team played the Super Bowl, they obviously lost. But they were um, – uh, Manning was able to rely on Thomas. He was the guy that was able to get open against a tough defense. And I know he's had some issues with drops over the last couple weeks, and they maybe have – maybe feel like there's something going on between those two. But I think if Denver wins this game, especially, it's going to be because Thomas makes a couple of huge big plays. And, you know – Right now, I think a lot of us are maybe in that prospect realm where we're watching videos and trying to get guys for our fantasy team or just trying to predict where these guys are going to go in the draft. And the first thing that comes into play a lot of those times is the eye test. And if you see Demarius Thomas on the field, almost no matter, like, who is he standing next to, you can tell that that guy is an NFL athlete. I mean, he is – not only is he big, he is ripped – he does. He almost doesn't look like a wide receiver. He looks like a like a tight end or maybe like an outside linebacker. And and I know he's obviously not that. And maybe he's not that big. But I just feel like the eye test. When you see this guy, you're just like, oh my gosh, that is what an NFL player should look like in terms of you know just pound for pound, all the different positions thrown into one. You say, okay, that guy's going to play in the NFL. Obviously, he is, but you you think that he looks like an NFL player. Uh, Gene, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I mean, just for the record, Demarius Thomas is that big. Um, he is. He's not. He's not a small guy. He is huge. Um, if there's a guy, and full disclosure, I think that if Denver wins, there's no chance anyone but Peyton Manning wins the MVP. I just I just think he's such a he's such a media darling. They'll find a way to give him the MVP the same way that they found a way to give it to him the first time, even though Dominic Rhodes deserved an MVP that day. Um, a guy I like, a guy I think is a, is a sneaker to win MVP, if it's going to anyone but Cam, I think it'll be Philly Brown. I think Philly Brown is the guy who's going to be the the, the, the guy who gets left open, and they say – you have to beat us. And I think Philly Brown's being undersold for his ability to um, run after the catch. And I think he has he has some wiggle to him. He's actually a better catcher of the ball than Ted Jr. is. And if he gets a lot of opportunities to catch the ball, I think he'll make the most of it. Uh, good, good one there. And like you said, with that wiggle, I'm sure that comes from him being a, a return specialist too. And that's, that's something that he's able to use out there. Um Jack, what do you think? 
I think you might have a defensive struggle, and so I'm going to go back to Luke Keekley or someone on the Carolina defense who, uh, you know, maybe uh, Peyton Manning throws some pick sixes, and, you know, you get someone like uh, Malcolm Smith type player who, you know, gets a pick six or two or a couple of interceptions and, uh, you know, ends up being one of the MVPs who, you know, you don't really remember what else he ever did. And then the Raiders offer him a huge contract, like Larry Brown. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. Nick, what do you think? Well, my heart says Von Miller, but I think it's so infrequent that a defender actually wins the MVP without scoring a defensive touchdown. I think he's, his impact is going to come more from uh, putting pressure on the quarterback and probably won't score. So I'm going to throw a dart and say uh, Ronnie Hillman maybe breaks off a couple of big runs in a low-scoring game and wins the MVP. Okay. Um, Bill, what do you got for us? Well, I, I'm I'm kind of in line with that, and and uh, you were talking about the eye test, Josh. And to me, despite the fact that C.J. Anderson drove us all crazy for those of us who had him on our fantasy teams, the eye test the last few weeks have shown that this guy still is a powerful runner. He still has a good one cut move, and he's still a very good running back in the NFL. I do believe that. Um, Denver is going to scheme and game plan. I believe that they know that in order to win, they need to keep Cam off the field, and the only way to do that is an establish a run. I do believe Ronnie Hillman will be a factor in this game, but I look for C.J. Anderson to have a big day, over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Wow. Loving, loving the, the numbers prediction there, bud. Um, okay. Uh, Gene, next question to you. Denver must to blank to win this game. Denver must not turn the ball over to win this game. I think one turnover, just one, is enough for them to get beat in this game. I think that's how – that's their margin of, of, of error right now. If they have one turnover, a fumble or an interception by, by the sheriff, I think they lose this game. Very good point, especially in a game of this caliber with with uh, just momentum being so huge. Uh, Jack, what do you think? They got to run the ball. Uh, they can't they can't put too much on Peyton Manning at this point in his career. They got to be able to move the ball, not just you know uh, take that pressure off him, but hopefully be able to open up some plays in the passing game and you know get some points on that uh, that Carolina defense. Okay. Nick, what do you think? I think they need to just continue playing Bronco football and, you know, uh, make it a battle for field position. Peyton Manning is obviously not going to throw for six or seven touchdowns like he did a few years ago, but he's still smart. And as long as he plays smart, doesn't turn the football over, um, and Denver defense makes life a living hell for Cam Newton the way they did for Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady, you know, it's okay for the Denver offense to get two first downs and then punt as long as that defense forces a three and out and they win the battle for field position. Bill, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with what everyone said, but I'm going to say scheme defensively to keep Cam unsettled. I believe that Cam Newton, the last two or three games I've watched, seems way too comfortable back there. He seems as though he's in total control. He's getting the ball to virtually every single person that he wants to get it to. And I believe that 
uh, Wade is the guy to scheme and throw a few wrinkles at him that he hasn't seen this year. And in order for Denver to win, they need to scheme and throw Cam off off base a bit. Okay. Um, I think Denver must create turnovers to win this game. Uh, maybe maybe they even need to score a defensive touchdown. I mean, there there was at least three games that I can think of this year where their defense won that game. I mean, two of them were probably because of a defensive touchdown, but just creating turnovers, and if they're able to do – you know, if they create two turnovers, I think that's enough momentum or maybe hopefully enough field position for them to get uh, points on the board. And I, I would love to look at the history of teams that have scored a defensive touchdown in the Super Bowl and ha- if they have won or not. I think that's – I think I think more so than often, if a team scores a defensive touchdown, it, it leads to uh, leads to a win a lot of the times, no matter, no matter the caliber of game. Um, where are we at here? I'm trying to make sure everybody has chances to go first, but I kind of, with more guests or less guests, I kind of lost my uh, my grid here. So, um, Gene just went first. So, okay, next question, Jack. Where, what Carolina must do blank to win this game? What do you think? Uh, get some explosive plays on offense, uh, you know, and really kind of get the game uh, opened up a little bit uh, the way they did against Arizona. I mean, uh, they don't want to get into that defensive slog uh, the way New England did with Denver where, you know, every play is going to matter. Uh, to me, it's getting going early and specifically getting those uh, getting those big plays to soften up that Denver defense and maybe force them into having to, you know, take more risks on offense. Okay. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Well, I think Carolina must have their league MVP, Cam Newton, to play like an MVP. It's not all on him, of course. The offensive line has to keep the pressure off him. But if Cam can escape the pass rush when the defenders do get through and either hit some wide receivers downfield or just simply move the chains with his legs, I think that could mentally frustrate the Denver's top-ranked defense. And if Cam can get in their heads, I think that could lead to defenders trying to do too much, and that's what tends to lead to mistakes. So Cam Newton's got to play like an MVP. All right, Bill, what do you think? To me, I think that in order for Carolina to win, they need to win the intermediate passing game. That Denver defense is a pressure defense. They're going to get at them, and they're going to have some success. I believe that Carolina needs to uh, play more to that intermediate passing uh, strategy than they do uh, typically. I think that the Philly Brown call was an interesting good call. Uh, Philly Brown, the tight end, um, you know, getting those passes out quick, moving the chains a little bit, then take your shots you know, when you want with Ted Ginn. But I think winning that intermediate passing game is a huge key for them. Okay. Um, I think they need to take a couple deep chances early. Now, and, and I know Wade Phillips is, is smarter than me when it comes to football, but I I remember watching specifically a Kansas City game when I was probably 16, 17 years old. And the first play of the game, uh, play action, you know, just – Typical first play of the game. It looks like looks like they're going to hand off to their running back, you know, right off the guard. Uh, play action, and they threw like a 50-yard pass downfield. Was completed. Even, but I think even if a play like that is not completed, it's going to just make that defense go, oh, 
hold on, what's going on here? And I know we're talking about two great teams that deserve to be in the Super Bowl, but if they point that in the in the Denver's head early on and they try to take a couple deep shots, because we know they can do that with Ted Ginn. We know Philly Brown, like Gene said, can make space. If they're able to get a couple shots, especially successful shots, deep down the field early, I think that could open everything up in the intermediate game, uh, like we've talked about there with uh, with Denver. So I think that's what they need to do, take shots deep early. Gene, what do you think? I think it really comes down to this, and I think they need to let Cam be Cam. Um, they need to to take the leash off of him. Even this year, there there are several there are several games where they they kind of shut him down and pulled the reins back in the second half, or else he could have had multiple. You know, I mean, he could have had several five plus touchdown games. And I think that in the Super Bowl, you've been saving him. You've been making sure that he's healthy, that he's that he's right for this game. This is when you you unload the clip. This is when you let him be him. And if he wants to run for 150 yards, let him run for 150 yards. If he, if he can throw for 400, let him throw for 400. You can't play the conservative game. You can't play the we'll, we'll move the chains and win with defense because the longer you let Denver stay around and the more you let that defense continue to put pressure on you, the harder it's going to be to win. So I think they need to let Cam be Cam um, if they want to have success. Yeah, very good point. And I'm glad you brought that up, too. You know, I've, I've said a couple times about how if they can control Cam, and somebody else has said that, too, or, you know, if, if they're able to contain him uh, scrambling. But, you know, if they're trying to, if they're able to almost get those coverage sacks deep, if they're able to get a couple of those early, maybe we are going to see Cam take off and get a, get a few yards up the middle. Um, that's a very good point there, Chief. Well, that is all the questions we have, but I am kind of a, a trivia buff. So I thought we'd do a little set of trivia here before we let everybody go. So I'm going to start with Jack. Or no, wait, sorry. Jack went first that last time. We'll start with Nick. Um, uh, SEC quarterback stick. This is uh, just the third time in NFL history that we have seen two SEC quarterbacks go against each other in the Super Bowl, Nick. Can you tell me the other two? I have no idea. <laughs> you can tell me one. I know you can. Just just think back. I know the answer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lost. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Who said they know the answer? I'd like an opportunity to still... Gene, all right. Yes. I knew you were going to steal this one, Gene. What do you got? Is it Peyton Manning and Rex Grossman? That's one of them. And going to have to roll the clock way back for the other one. Yeah. That's the one that might might stump me. I knew I had had one for sure. Um, Uh... Um, um, oh, oh, uh, Joe Willie Namath, and, and, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm coming up blank with the, the other quarterback in that. In United? Oh, this thing. In the United? United? Yeah, that's, that's not it. You're, you're partially right. 
name is from Alabama quarterback. But uh, Bill, do you know the Bill? Do you know the other answer? I have no clue. But no googling it. Hey, Jack, do you know the other answer? I don't. Uh, it is Fran Tarkington from the University of Georgia for the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, the snake Ken Stabler, Oakland Raiders. Oh, that is the other one. Um, okay, Bill gets Bill gets to go first on the next one, and I really did. I kind of ended up with a lot of quarterback heavy questions here, but Bill, uh, dual championships. If Cam Newton is to win the Super Bowl, he will be the third quarterback in history to win. The excuse me, the Super Bowl and the College Football National Championship. Do you know who the other two are? Bill. Uh, mm. No. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Uh yeah. Uh Gene, any any idea there, Gene? Uh, you got me. You got me stumped on that one. Okay. Um, um. Again, again, you got to roll back the clock on both of them. Unfortunately. Um, Jack, any thoughts there? What was the question again? Sorry. Um. If Cam Newton wins the Super Bowl, he'll be the third quarterback in history to win the, both the national championship and the Super Bowl. Can you name the other two? I know I'm a coach that won both. <laughs> All I can think of is Pete Carroll. Oh. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, uh, Marcus Allen it's, is another player who won both. But. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any good answers. Nick, any thoughts? Uh, did Ken Stabler win a championship at Alabama? He did not. No. Mm. Um, I have no idea. Okay. Well, we Gene almost got it with the first answer. Joe Namath was one of them. And uh, Joe Montana was the other one. Um, next question here. Um... Who went? Who went first last time? Did Bill go first last time? So we're, I think we're back to yeah. We're back. To, we're back to Gene going first here. Um, all right, Gene. There's been two quarterbacks who have taken two different teams to the Super Bowl, or two quarterbacks who have started for two different teams in the Super Bowl. Can you name them? Well, obviously Peyton Manning's one. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's, sorry. Go ahead. There's there's actually three of them. Sorry. Go ahead. So two other than Peyton Manning. There's two, there's two other. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Um. Huh. Definitely. I'll give you I'll give you a clue. We've already talked about one of the Super Bowls earlier. Um and this quarter that quarterback in that one was one and one and the other quarterback did not win either time. 
you you, you got to come back to me. This is one I actually know, at least one of them. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it off to my colleague on this one. All right, Jack. What do you Kurt got? Warner. Kurt Warner is one of them. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Kurt Warner. And I'll and I'll give away a for uh, a free Dyn- Dynasty Football Warehouse subscription if anybody <laughs> knows the next one. Oh, uh, Nick, any thoughts there? Uh, no. Any thoughts? Okay. Uh, Craig Morgan. I I could not. If you would have said Craig Morgan to me, I would couldn't even tell you he was a football player. But he started in the seventies. He started in the Super Bowl for both Dallas and Denver. Okay, so that means change. Okay, Jack, you got to start this one now. All right. Um, interceptions in the Super Bowl is the title of this one. Who has the most interceptions in one game? Somebody picked off three interceptions in one Super Bowl, Jack. Can you tell me who that was? Uh, I don't I have no clue. Okay. Um, Nick? Just as a guess, uh, James Washington, the safety for Dallas? No. Bill? Bill, any any ideas there? It wasn't a it wasn't a secondary player, which probably makes it even tougher. Uh, I, I kind of feel like it's a it's a it's a raider because some of these have been raider centric. Have they? Um, <laughs> well, you're close. I mean, yes, it is a raider. Maybe Rod Martin. Yes, Rod Martin. I'm sure Gene knew that one, right, Gene? You had that one. Yeah, I had no clue about that one. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have known if it were for my Raiders. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, Rod Martin is also tied for all-time lead in Super Bowl interceptions. There's a couple other people that have three, but what more impressively is uh, Rod Martin had three in the Super Bowl win over the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that performance, whether you know a couple of those were any cheap interceptions, I think that performance – Pretty underrated Super Bowl wise, especially when you consider that he was uh, an outside linebacker, not a uh, not a secondary player. So yeah, that's uh, those are some good questions. I thank you guys for uh, humoring with me. But I love I love trivia, especially Super Bowl and football trivia. That's obviously a good time. But that's a, that is all we have for the roundtable discussion. I want to thank you guys for joining us um, again. It's Gene Clemens, FBGamePlan.com and author. I'm sure if you want to find out information, right, Gene, about those other books, you just go to fbgameplan.com. You'll give us the hookup. Oh, yeah. If you you go to fball, you know, footballgameplan.com, you can you can check out the books. Um, you can get more information on the books. You can follow me on Twitter at Gene Clemens, um, Emery at Football Game Plan, Ron at TD, um, T. Davenport. So, um, you know, we've been having a good year, and it's only going to get better. And check out our, our Super Bowl preview that we just um, came out with yesterday. It's it's a very substantial preview, so anything you want to know, you can find out there. I'd also like to say for all of you people who 
um, are in fantasy land and um, have not been choosing Cam Newton as your quarterback um, <laughs> for whatever reason. I have won three fantasy football leagues in a row specifically because Cam Newton has been my quarterback. Um, no other quarterback um, in the NFL can you can you dial up for 50 at any point in time um, without without hesitation. So um, if you want to win your fantasy league, you definitely should start thinking about not allowing me to get Cam Newton in the third and fourth round of draft. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Great nugget there. Thank you so much, Gene. We we appreciate you, bud. No problem. Okay, and Jack, who was kind enough to hang around for, geez, an hour and a half, Jack. We we thank you so much for joining us. Jack <laughs> joined us before before the roundtable as we talked about Pac-12 prospects. Um, and Bill might be a little mad at us because we didn't talk about any Sun Devils, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Any, you got any questions, Bill? You think you go? You want to throw some Sun Devil names out there? I mean, I know no, actually, and I know my, Westerman. My one question, actually, not related to the Pac-12. My one question is, I'm curious, all you guys, what's your what's your prediction for score and uh, win for the Super Bowl? Oh my gosh, we should have done that before Gene hung up. That's a great question, Bill. <laughs> uh, Jack, since we were signing you off, what do you got for us? What's your prediction? You're first up. Pressure's on. All right, let's go. Carolina twenty-eight, Denver seventeen. Okay, Nick, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go Denver twenty, Carolina seventeen. All right, Bill, what do you got for us? I I got uh, Denver twenty-seven, Carolina twenty-four in overtime. Ooh, I love the overtime prediction. Because we don't want football to end, right? Um, Never. Pro Bowl was last week. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! I, the right currently right now the spread is Denver uh, plus five and a half. They're getting five and a half points, um, and the over under is forty five. So um, I just I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's right on. I'm gonna say well I'm gonna say Denver covers the spread, but but, but uh, Carolina wins. So I'm gonna say twenty four nineteen Carolina. Wins, um, and uh, they cover they cover the half a point there. So uh, the people that I know that are into sports betting saying if you get more than if you get a field goal with the number one defense in the NFL, you got to take it. So I think I think people that take Denver will be happy, but uh, I think Carolina will win. So I and I'm, I will be very happy to see Cam Newton play that role. So. Um, so again, Jack. Thank you for joining us. You can expect me to bug you this time again next year. Um, if you ever want to come on and just yell at us, tell us we're doing a bad job or we're talking about somebody that we shouldn't be, uh, just let us know. All right, bud? We appreciate you. All right. Thank um, you. Jack Fullman, Pacific Takes. And I said, like I said, if you didn't know him before, you got you got to absolutely love him now because he, he, he filled in great for us and – he knows the Pac-12, so if you want anything about the Pac-12, you tweet Jack at Jack Coleman, and he will he will answer your questions. Jack, we appreciate you. you got it. Here. Yeah, thanks. All right, um, and like I said earlier, Bill La- Bill Latin, Bill Latin America, so I say it right. Recently knighted as a ranker, and he's getting our getting our rookie uh, defensive guys in line too. So thank you for that, Bill. We appreciate that, and. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the on the roundtable. It's been a been a whole lot of fun.
Appreciate it, guys. Have a great day. Okay, and Bill is also a, a auction slash Devi slash expert on uh, different things within the dynasty realm that we're a lot of us here at DFW aren't necessarily uh, uh, seasoned in. So hopefully we can have you come back, Bill, and maybe help us out a little bit of that because. I'm going to need some Debbie help. I got to let Burgundy talk me into a Debbie piece. I'm going to need some Debbie help at some point in time, all right? Absolutely. All right. Cool. And if Thank you're not you, in a salary uh, contract league, it's a lot of fun. I got, I got to tell you, you think that Dynasty Leagues are, are hopped up. When you talk about salary and contracts uh, and Debbie, uh, it's it's on crack. It's it's There's nothing like it. <laughs> okay. If that isn't enough of an endorsement, go do it. I love it. Thank you, Bill. Okay, Nick. Well, well. In case you guys didn't notice, we were not able to bring Chuck Podeski on, on today. He had he had a work emergency, so he's not able to join us. But what? And I know we've already set our score, Nick. So, I, and you had you had Denver covering the, the five and a half point spread. Is that right? Uh, I had Denver winning actually by a three, twenty to seventeen. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. So yes, covering and winning. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the uh, the, the over under with the uh, the forty five? 45, it seems a little low, but I think I'm still going to go under. I mean, we've got two great defenses going against each other, so I I foresee a low-scoring type of Super Bowl. Okay. Well, and I guess my prediction was 24-19. That's, what's that, 43 points? I can't do math right now. Yeah, 43 points. So I guess I I would have to go uh, under, too. So I feel like every time I'm pretty sure about the under, under, and I guess my my let my prediction show that I was going to be under. It seems like it's seems like it's wrong. So bet to be bet the over maybe. Um, we didn't have a chance to get to some prop bets, but I, I know there's a lot of fun of them, fun ones out there. I always like to bet on the safety, and like Nick said a few weeks back, we should look really look and see if what the, what the uh, the odds are about somebody uh, missing an extra point there. So uh, any. I, and like I said, I know we don't have a chance to look at the look at the prop bets there, Nick. Any, but why don't why don't you just give me a call for who's going to score the first touchdown of the game? What player specifically? What player scores the first touchdown? Uh, let's go, Ronnie Hillman on a one yard touchdown run. Okay, um, I'm going to say Greg Olson. I feel like to totally blow out of the water what I said earlier, but. Carolina has to take a couple of deep chances early on. I do feel like sometimes, especially in the Super Bowl, teams are maybe a little bit conservative early on. So if you see Carolina take that deep shot to get in the red zone, maybe they hit uh, maybe they hit Greg Olson across the middle for a touchdown. So I'm going to go Greg Olson. I think uh, maybe the odds of him scoring the first one are a little bit sli- slighter than a uh, excuse me, a little bit. Less better. I don't know what I'm talking about. That than, than Hillman, but uh, I'm gonna go with Greg Olson. So um, next week we have uh, an incredibly great dude stopping by by the name of Jeff Floyd. He's a contributor over at Draft Breakdown, and just just a great social media friend of mine. And he studies the NFL draft all year round. So I figured, well, you know, we're gonna be in football purgatory, so to speak. So why not have Jeff come by the week after the Super Bowl? Of course, we'll talk about the Super Bowl a little bit, too. But Jeff's going to stop by, and we're just going to kind of talk about whose stock really needs to 
you know, needs to combine to improve and and how the senior bowl affected some guys and the East West Shrine Bowl. So we're gonna we're gonna have Jeff stop by and just talk about them and maybe he can try to sell me on DeForest Buckner too. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm not a big big guy I'm big I'm not a big Leonard Floyd guy either, so we'll see. We'll see if he can sell me on that guy too. And um we'll back be back to doing some of the normal things that we do, like the Dynasty Dilemma. I'll figure that out here in the next couple of days, Nick. Dynasty trade analysis. We're going to do, probably do a couple more prospect reports too, too. So it'll be a little prospect heavy next week. But uh, uh, make sure you stick around for that. And then we're going to start our team reviews because that's right. The off season is going to get clicking. They got the uh, the draft a little bit earlier than it was last year. So after that, we're going to start what by breaking down each division within a, within a week podcast. So we'll I think we start with the AFC West. So we'll kind of figure out what's going on with those four teams. Uh, during the off season and what they need to do and who they need to draft. So we're gonna we're gonna break all those teams down specifically the, the AFC West that first week of the 17th. So make sure you check check us out moving forward as we have a lot of fun things planned for you during the uh, the off season before this uh, draft happens. And uh, like I said, Jeff Lloyd next week. That's gonna be fun. Big thanks to Jack Fullman for being on for the full podcast. He was. What what a, what a trooper he was for that, and we we obviously love and trust his Pac-12 knowledge, so that's why we bring him on so he can pass it along to you. Thank you so much, Jack. We appreciate that. Gene Clemens, FBGamePlan.com. Go there, check them out, see what they got going on for those books, and uh, those guys are guys that have played the game up to at least the collegiate collegiate level, so they understand football in and out, and you need to go there and check out the website because they do some great stuff there. Obviously, big thanks to Bill. You'll you'll hear him come on the podcast, I'm sure, probably when we talk about Arizona as well. And we, we love what he's doing for us over here at uh, DFW. Been a, been a great add to the site, and he's got a lot of energy and a lot of fire, and we love having Bill stop by. Nick, as always, thank you for, for being the co-host. Pretty, pretty good roundtable. I think Last couple of years, I always envisioned them going a little bit longer than they did, but uh, I think we I think we honed it down and then gave some people a lot of good things to talk about, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Great time. Okay. Well, this has been the Super Bowl Roundtable edition of the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, next week we'll be back to doing some of the things that we normally do. Um, and I will, I'm sure we'll have a great dynasty deliver for you. Cause I know, I know you'll obviously look forward to that. Me and Nick going head to head. So, uh, Nick, one last question. What's on the menu? What are you eating? What are you eating for the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Cause we're going to a Super Bowl party. So whatever they're serving there, I guess. Okay. What are you drinking? What's, what's your, what's your poison right now? Oh, probably some uh, Maui Brewing Company mono wheat. It's uh, got a little hint of pineapple to it. It's delicious stuff. I I'm there, man. I like it. Sounds sounds good. I don't know if I get anything that here. Um, the mid the Midwest flavor here and kind of something I always go back to is tomato beer. It's just a little tomato juice in your beer. <laughs> it might seem gross, but uh, you know if it's kind of a cheaper beer, you think the taste could be a little bit better. Throw a little tomato juice in there and see what happens. And uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a PBR or a Budweiser, but uh, if you guys want to sponsor us, just let us know. And I will definitely tell you what it is next week. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Super Bowl. But remember, football is not over because the Dynasty Pulse will be back 
next week. So check it out with Jeff Lloyd. We appreciate you guys for listening, and have a great Super Bowl, and enjoy the game. Thank you, guys. Take care, Nick. You too. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with J.D. Gilfield, Richard Wagner, and Josh Johnson. Sign off, people. That play was 17 Bob Trejo. Even now, whenever I see that highlight, I get tingles. I remember John Facenda saying, here comes Marcus Allen, running with the night. That's a good memory. On came Marcus Allen, running with the night. I can throw a football over the mountains.